Well, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse number 17 today, I gave you uh, a copy of uh, the scripture this morning in the New Revised Standard Version, which if you picked up as you came in on the tables, um, that would be the reading that we're going to be doing today from that version of scripture. Or you can just take your Bibles and follow along there as well. A few years ago, there was a, um, an inter-varsity ministry group in one of the larger universities in England that was seeking to reach their fellow students with the gospel. And so they printed out the words of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, in a contemporary format. They didn't give the verse numbers. They didn't even actually specify the source of this document. They just distributed it all across the campus to to their fellow students. It was written as if it was written in the 21st century. Soon after the document was distributed, the leaders were called to go before the university authorities. The students were told in no uncertain terms that they would be censored, they would censor them for their offensive language that was recorded in the document. And the authorities demanded that the students produce the author of this offensive piece of writing. I want to tell you this morning that this is not a typical Mother's Day message. Usually you don't hear the preacher preaching from Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 on Mother's Day. But here we are. I said I was going to go through Romans and as I was planning out the messages, I just didn't even realize that this is where it would be on Mother's Day. But here we are. The reading of God's word today is a reading of a word that I believe that our world would say is offensive. Politically incorrect. Something that would um, be of another time and another place, but would be even, they would say, would even be filled with hate. But I would venture to say that when you read this word in its context and you understand what Paul says, this is a word of grace, a word of life, a word of hope, even in the middle of the darkness. Because sometimes you need to hear the bad news before you can really come to grips with the good news. And so today, out of respect to God's word, would you mind standing with me as we read Romans chapter 1 starting at verse number 17 and reading down through verse number 32. And I am reading this morning again from the New Revised Standard Version. You say, why am I reading from that version? I don't know. I just read it this week and I was like, I like this, you know. The New Revised Standard Version is, a, is um, um, it's, the, it's probably the most literal version of Scripture, okay. It's... Um, it's, it's when I was in seminary and school, they made a study out of what is called the Revised Standard Version. That was almost 30 years ago. This is the new Revised Standard Version. And um, so if you want to follow along in that version with me, great. If you want to read in your version that you're reading, I think you can follow along and hear the word of the Lord. Amen. For in the righteousness of God is revealed through faith. For faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. 
For what, God, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and, the, in, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to degrading their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God, about God for a lie and worshipped and served the created rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the degrading their passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. And in the same way, also men giving up natural intercourse with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received their own persons the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetedness, malice. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious towards parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, yet they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. God, it's a... Um, it's a word that is, um, well, it's heavy. Would you just have your way as you speak to us today, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as, you, as we look at this passage today, uh, there's a few things that I want you to see. First of all, um, the good news and the bad news is for you. Um, last week we ended our message as we looked at the man, the mission, and the message. And we looked at the message, and the message was a pretty positive message. I'll remind you of what God said to us last week in verse number 17. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness from God. We talked about three words in the message last week. We talked about salvation the fact that God can save us, can set us free, can transform us. We talked about righteousness. The righteousness not that we can manufacture in ourselves, but the righteousness that comes from God for us through Jesus Christ. That we receive by faith. It is from, as the scripture says, by faith from first to last. And so the revelation that God has given to us is good news. The gospel is good news. The good news, the good news that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son. You know the good news. We even talked about it way back on Easter when we talked about the three, the heart of Christianity, which is that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that event transformed human history. And it transforms our lives in a powerful way. That is the good news. 
But Paul doesn't, doesn't launch from there. He actually goes from the good news to the bad news. Because in verse number 18, he goes on to say, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. You'll notice the same structure in verse 17 is used in verse number 18. That the wrath of God or the gospel of righteousness is being, being revealed, is, is revealed. The word revealed there is that is a revelation, that God is revealing it to us. The revelation is a double revelation. There is good news and bad news. And the question is, do you need to hear the bad news before you can understand the good news? Or do you understand the good news and then discover the bad news? For many of us, we've come to that understanding of the good news and bad news from different places. When I became a Christian, nobody had to tell me that I was a bad person. I already knew it. I had a plenty of things that I had done in my life that had led me to, to lots of brokenness and a lot of sin and a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. I experienced immorality to its utter core at the age of 15 years old. I had lied, cheated, stolen. I had, I, had, uh, I had disobeyed my mother and my father. I mean, you name it, I had probably done it. The list that is discovered there in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I knew it all. And then I went to church. And I heard the good news. The good news was something that was marvelous to me because I had already experienced the bad news. For some of you that have grown up in church and you have lived your life in a Christian home and you've gone to church your whole life and you have experienced, you experienced Jesus, you probably discovered the good news before you discovered the bad news. It is only as you grew as a Christian that you realize that you really are not righteous. That you really don't know the, you really have nothing to bring to the Lord but your unrighteousness and your need for Christ. But you discovered God's love before you discovered that you're wicked. You get that? Does that make sense? Okay. So sometimes it just depends on which start, where you start, whether the good news or the bad news. But all of us, no matter what human being is out there, needs to hear both messages. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and we say you must repent of your sins. You must turn from your own righteousness and your own ways or your own desire to try to please God. And you must put all of your hope and your trust in Jesus because his righteousness is the only one that will make you righteous. And so Paul begins to give us a very clear picture here, in the, right here in the book of Romans in the very beginning. And from verse number 18 now, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul begins to discuss about unrighteousness, about our need to be righteous, he doesn't actually get back to the good news until chapter 3, verse number 21. So you can see where we're going to be for the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about the bad news. The bad news. But the bad news needs to be shared with us because without knowing the bad news, you don't even know you need the gospel, which is the good news. Amen? The good news. So... 
The question then becomes, what is the wrath of God? What does it wrath of God mean? What is the wrath of God? It says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Is being revealed. In other words, it is now being revealed. It's being revealed not just in the past and not just in the future. We can all look back at the past and say, oh God, you brought your wrath at uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You brought your wrath at Noah's time. You brought your wrath at, at uh, Pharaoh. You brought your wrath at Ananias and Sapphira in the early church. I mean, we can see acts where God brought judgment upon his people. And we can look into the future in Revelation and we can see that God is going to put an end to all evil and there's going to come a day when he's going to wipe it all out. But the scripture here says that he is actually revealing his wrath even now. Even now. It has been revealing to us in heaven. And so what is the wrath of God? There's three things I want you to catch here. First of all, the wrath is not should not be viewed as a divine temper tantrum. Okay? This is not God getting mad. This is not God's, you know, oh, I'm sick and tired of you. Boom! I'm just going to wipe you out. There's some people who feel like every time they go through an illness or they go through a difficult time or they go through heartache or pain that they believe that God is just kind of, you know, honing in on them personally and is pouring his wrath on them and he's, and he's mad at them. That is not what God is trying to say to us in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. He's not describing God's wrath as a divine temper tantrum. I know there are times as a parent where I got really mad at my kids. And I probably said some things I shouldn't have said. And I probably may have disciplined a little harder than I should have disciplined. If you're a mom or dad, you understand that, right? Where there are times when you lose it and then you look back on that and you go, Oh, I did not respond to that situation the right way. We cannot compare our emotional system to God's emotional system. He's much better. I like what Run Writer says. This, God's wrath is, God, is God's settled, determined indignation against sin. It is not an emotional outburst. Very important to understand that. God is controlled. He is thoughtful. He is holy. He is just. He is right in what he does. And when we stand before Almighty God, we should stand there with fear and trembling if we don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's holy and we are not. Sinners experience the wrath of God as the apparently natural consequence of attempting to live at odds with the reality that the creator exists and that creatures owe him their gratitude and worship. I love what um, one writer who writes, uh, it's, uh, it's really, really, where, where is it? Hold on. Um, it's, his name is C.H. Dodd. Dodd is a, um, a well-known New Testament commentary writer. And he writes this. He says, the unpleasant results of sin are the natural consequences of choosing to live at odds with God and God's design of the universe. It's a bit like the consequence one suffers for spitting into the wind. 
or attempting to defy the law of gravity. God does not have to intervene. Sin, it's its own punishment. In other words, when you sin, when you actually go against the known will of God, when you actually live your life without recognition of God or living in a way to his laws of the universe, you are going to suffer the natural consequences of living out that type of life. Those who lie, eventually it catches up with you. If you steal, you're eventually going to have to pay the consequences for that. As the Bible talks about, you reap what you sow. And so there is this natural consequence that happens as a result. And you'll see that later on in this passage when Paul talks about, well, God just gave you up. He gave it up. He just gave you up. He lets you do what you want to do to do what you want to do and live the way you want to live because ultimately that's going to lead to darkness, pain, and suffering. He doesn't have to inflict it. You're inflicting it on yourself by choosing to go your own way. God's wrath is expressed in his refusal, now catch this, to spare sinners from the consequences of their own self-destructive folly. You and I will live with the consequences of our choices. This whole passage theologically lets us know that we are sinners. All of us. Not a select group of people. Not just the worst of the worst, but every single one of us are sinners. And all of us, as Romans says later on, fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And the wages of sin is what? Death. And so Paul is laying out here an argument that you need the gospel. Why? Because you're a sinner. And sinners actually sin. And sinners sin and they suffer the consequences of their sins. That's what the wrath of God is all about. Second thing he says is humans are without excuse. All of us are without excuse. Notice what the scripture goes on to say. We'll read it again. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against what? Against all godliness and wickedness of men. Who, what do they do? They are suppressing the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So that, now catch this, men, women, all human beings are without excuse. There's no one on the planet who can say, well, I just didn't know. It's not my fault. I, I was, I'm a sinner, and I was made that way, and that's who I am, and so how can you hold me accountable? God says right here, Paul says to us, he says, listen, all of us have had some revelation of this. There is not one person on the planet who has an excuse before Almighty God. And I hate to tell you this, but you're in church, so you really have no excuse. No excuse whatsoever. 
And his argument is that we suppress the truth. We suppress the truth. What does the word suppress mean? It means to push it down. It means to push it away. It means to say, no, I'm not going to look at that. There's probably not one of us in this room that at times we knew what was right to do, yet we chose not to listen to what was right. And we chose to go our own way. I was on the phone this week. I got a call from from a longtime cousin. And um, she called me and she was reading the scripture and she, she was really having a hard time with what she was reading and she was feeling this guilt. And, and so she sent me this Facebook message and I said, you know, this is going to be a much longer conversation than texting. I said, why don't you give me a call? And so she called me and we spent an hour on the phone together. With, I haven't talked to her in probably 20 years. And here's what she, here's what I, the, 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 the crux of the matter was simply this. About five years ago, she knew what she should have done, and she chose to ignore it and went the wrong way. And now five years later, she is living with the consequences of that choice that she knew she shouldn't have done. Yet she ignored her instincts, her really were godly instincts not to go in that direction, and she chose to do it anyways. And now she's looking at the Word of God. She actually was reading her Bible, and she's going... Oh, and the only thing I could tell her was this. Now that you know, ask for forgiveness. We suppress the truth. And maybe there's some of you in the room today. Right now, you're in a situation. You're in a, you're, 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 you have some temptations. You have thoughts in your mind. And the question is, are you going to make your choices based on truth? Or are you going to suppress the truth and do what you want to do? We've all done it, including me, including you. And then he says there are two things. Two things I want you to see here, a reason why. How do we suppress the truth? First of all, revelation. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Could I tell you this even though it is a book of books written over a 2,000-year span by 40 different authors, Old and New Testament is God's holy word that is a revelation to you. God has made it plain. He wrote it down. <laughs> I mean, what more can you get, right? But even if you don't even know that this is God's word, maybe you live someplace where you have no idea, the Bible tells us that God has given us in our own consciousness because we are created by God himself and we have been stamped with his image even though that image has been radically destroyed by sin. It has not destroyed the fact that there is a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. Just look at the fact that human beings are basically religious people. I mean, there's religions everywhere where people are trying to figure out something beyond themselves. It's almost like they have the instincts that are there. God says, I've made it plain to them. And then he says, creation. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. I don't know about you, but have you ever just stopped and go, wow, at God's creation? I mean, we live in California where there's incredible amounts of wow moments. There are mountains that are majestic. There is the coastline that is incredibly gorgeous. There's even a valley that kind of goes forever and ever that has its own beauty, all of its own. Saturday, I think it was yesterday, or maybe it was Friday. I said to Jane, I said, Jane, I think the air is perfect today in Bakersfield. I could see all of the mountains all the way around us. The sun was beautifully shining. The wet, the temperature was perfect. I said, today is paradise. And then the scientist, the meteorologist, the weather forecasters, they always crack me up here in Bakersfield. There's really not much to really predict. It's the same every day, basically. But here's what the weatherman said, or it was a weather woman. Here's what she said. The air quality is perfect in Bakersfield today. I was saying... God, you're amazing. You're amazing, God. You're amazing, God. God, you're amazing. I look at your creation and I am just blown away about how awesome you are. Creation itself cries out, whether it's a sunrise or a sunset, whether it's a mountain or a valley, a stream, an ocean, you name it, you travel this globe, you will discover there's a God. And he's here, and he's made us. You can ignore it. You can say, oh, by chance, we kind of just developed this whole thing, and all of the planets are in exactly the right order and the exactly the right distances, and we have the exact right place to actually have life on earth and and you can look at all of the different shapes and sizes and the stars and all of that and you can say it just sort of just happened really you can suppress the truth or you can acknowledge the truth Have you met the me monster? Have you met her? Or him? You know, it's the person that has to talk about themselves all the time. Me, 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 me. If you tell a story, they got a better story about them. Sin in its essence, my friends, before you actually do an act of sin, is an ego trip. Where you think you are the center of the universe. And everything revolves around you. That is the essence of a sinful human race. And we have been trying to supplant 
or to, to, to put ourselves above Almighty God, make ourselves better than Him, and be the God of our own universe, our own ways. And the result of that is what you see on planet Earth. And there's a whole lot of bad stuff. Well, here's the third thing. They exchange what is true for what is false. They have no excuse. The wrath of God is poured out upon the mankind and righteous indignation against sin and against the woeful disobedience of the human race. And as a result of that, we are without excuse, and it leads us to exchange what is right and true to what is false and wrong. And Paul goes on to tell us in three different ways here. He says, first of all, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It doesn't take long to kind of watch the human race implode on itself. Just look at Hollywood, folks. I mean, it's just down the street. Look at the red carpet. Look at what happened at the Grammys or the, or the, or the, what's the, what's the, the Oscars, whatever it might be. I mean, it is, it is the epitome of it all where it's all about the American Idol. I mean, it's all about selfishness. It's all about glorification of ourselves. And then if you're on social media at all, you'll notice people who are taking their clothes off and posing for the camera and put it on for the whole world to see. Look at how great I am. By the way, you're never going to find me naked on the screen. It doesn't look good. But boy, when we start working out and we start feeling good about ourselves, we can start feeling like everybody needs to see how great we are. And our mind and our thinking becomes darker and darker and darker and darker, and we don't even realize it. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. He goes on to say, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. This is a tangent, but could I just tell you, the abortion debate of today is stupid. Trying to determine when a fetus becomes a life is, is, is such a human endeavor when you, don't, when you don't even acknowledge that life comes from God. I listened, I don't mean to get political on you, but man, I listened to our governor talk about abortion this week and it made me sick. We need to pray for the unborn. Every unborn child is a creation of Almighty God. It is true, my friends. And the world can darken it, and the world can twist it, and the world can make it about, about just the person who's carrying the baby, but that's not the person that is, their life is being snuffed out. 
And if you're a lady here today and you've had an abortion, you understand the pain and the horror of it. You're already living with it. May God give you his grace and to help heal your heart. But every life is precious. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men. And then, I, then he says this in 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And I love what he says right here in the middle of this. I put it in really big letters for you. Who is for, forever praised. Amen. In the middle of this dark description of human depravity, Paul breaks out in praise to Almighty God, who is forever to be praised and worshiped. When you start worshiping the wrong way, you start living the wrong way. That's worth writing down, folks. When you worship the wrong way, you live the wrong way. When you choose to worship mortals or images or false gods, which is idolatry, it will lead you to immorality. And that's what Paul is trying to drive here. He's trying to say at the heart of the human condition is that they have, they have no longer acknowledged that God is God, that he is holy, he is right, he's the creator, he's the redeemer, he is the one who we will give an account of our life to, and he is the one to be worshipped. When you stop that, everything else falls apart. And it goes south real quick. Four ways to alter your human conscience. Your conscience is like that, is, 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 is that part of you that God's created that, that has instincts that you find that right and wrong is there. You find that there is a battle between truth and a lie, between, between what to worship, to worship God and worship idols. That battle that happens in our heart. Paul describes this, by the way, in Romans chapter 7. He gets to the place where he says, what do I do? I want to do right, but the wrong's there. I want to do the right thing, but wrong is there. I find myself in this battle, and he says, what is the answer? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Here's the victory. But how do we dampen our conscience? There's four things we do. We justify our actions or our conduct. And humans are really good at this. We can find reasons why we can say we are doing what we're doing and why it's right. If we just ignore his word, suppress it, push it aside, we can justify ourselves. And when we justify ourselves, we can then to rationalize our actions by comparing ourselves to others. Well, other people are doing it. So if other people are doing it, it must be okay for me to do it. And I'm not as bad as them I'm just a little worse than them, but, but it's okay. God loves them in this. And we begin to rationalize and we begin to choose what attributes of God we want. I want a little bit of love and I want a little bit of kindness, but I don't want this and I don't want that. We make God into our own image. 
So we worship him the way we want and we live the way we want. And then there is blame our actions on other people or events in our life. We start finding that the reason that we're doing this is it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. I mean, look at back at the garden when Adam and Eve and Eve had taken the apple and then God came along and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, Adam made me do it. And Adam said, and she made me do it. And they were just pointing fingers to everybody. We have been blaming for a long time and then there is alleviate any discomfort by believing our new truth. So all of the pain that comes along by choosing to sin and the consequences of that, we just alleviate it all. We get rid of guilt, shame, heartache, pain, whatever it might be. We just rewrite how it's supposed to work. Well, Last but not least, God gives us up. Idolatry leads to immorality. And Paul, at the end of chapter 3 here, gives us three statements where he says God gives up. And I want you to catch this. First of all, he says, sensuality. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies to one another. Immorality is happening as fast as it's ever happened in our society. Pornography is on a rage. Adultery, promiscuity, premarital sex. You name it, it's happening today. Because all human beings without God are focused on themselves. And God has given us a desire for sexual intimacy. That then when we take it outside of the realms of God and turn it on ourselves to please ourselves. God says, I'm just going to let you do what you want to do because that's what you want to do. And what you're going to do is what you're going to do. So you're going to do more of it, more of it, more of it. And you're going to suffer the consequences of it. Before I knew Christ, I had sex. I was 13 years old the first time I had sex. That's pretty young. And I remember walking home from my girlfriend's house, and she was there without anybody there. It's the first time I'd had sex, and I remember walking home, did not know who Christ was, did not know who God was, but I walked away going this. That was not good. I don't feel very good about what we just did. I don't feel very clean. I don't feel very pure. I feel kind of gross. The act, eh, it was all right. But I felt awful afterwards. Yet, I wanted more of it. I wanted to do it again and again. And again, and the more I did it, the dirtier I felt. I didn't understand what was going on. If it was so right and so beautiful, and it was such a wonderful thing, and it was supposed to be beautiful, why did I feel so full of guilt and shame over it? 
Later I discovered, oh, God designed that for specific commitments in a specific covenantal relationship that is meant to be beautiful and wholesome and wonderful. God gives them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. God doesn't say, it's okay to do it. God says, you're going to do it. Okay, you, all right, I, I'm not going to stand in your way. You want to do it your way? You're going to live with the consequences of what you do. But then it gets deeper. Because then he begins to talk about sexual perversion. He says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. And I don't have time this morning to go through the details of what he talks about there, but he talks about lesbian and homosexual acts that are shameful and unnatural. Where, remember we talked about exchanging? You exchange natural relationships for unnatural relationships. You exchange what is the created order for what is something that is uncreated order. You exchange the, the right way for the wrong way. And God clearly says in his word that homosexual, lesbian, sexual, same-sex acts are sinful. It is perverse. And our world today is saying, it's right. It's normal. It should be celebrated. It should be encouraged. Let every child figure out if they're a man or a boy or a girl. We are wicked. And I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about our race as a human race. And then he ends with this anti-social living. He says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain knowledge of God, he gave them over. See this phrase, he gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. He gave them over to the depravity of their minds to do what ought not to be done. Just look at Ukraine, my friends. It should not be that innocent children are being gunned down. It should not be that women are raped by soldiers of an invading army. It should not be that another country can just, by virtue of being bigger and stronger, say, we're going to take you over. That's big scale stuff. But there's a lot of things in our world today that should not be. And Paul then goes on to give us a list. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a list. Because they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderous, God-haters, insolence, arrogant, boastful. They are invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. All who are guilty say I. You see, sometimes I think Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, we sometimes who are in the church just focus on 
homosexuality and lesbian and same sex. And we forget that it's a whole lot more than that. It includes all of us. We have all fallen short. We've all sinned. And we all deserve, as he goes on to say, although they knew God's righteous decrees and those who do such things, what? Deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. You have a choice. You can either recognize I am unrighteous and I need Christ and the gospel of his righteousness and you turn from your wicked ways and you repent and you find grace and mercy and transformation or you continue to buy the lie that says I don't need what God's offering. I'll do my own thing and I'm going to do my own thing and say that it's right and I'm going to do my own thing and encourage others to do the same thing because that makes me feel better. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Worship team, come. Well, there's one answer to all of this, and that's Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Christ and Christ alone. Stand with me, would you? Before you go, ladies, if you're going to go early, please pick up a, a gift on the back table, okay? But... I'd love for you to stay for this closing song because I want you to think about this last thought. In Christ, both the grace and love of God and the wrath of God are found in one event. The cross is God's wrath. He paid for your sins. He took all of your penalty upon himself. He died in your place. That's the righteousness of God. You can't get it anywhere else, my friends. It's only found at the foot of the cross. So as we sing together, maybe today you just need to come and say, God, I need your righteousness again. Maybe you've, maybe you've been slipping away. Maybe you've been teetering with, with lies. Maybe you've been doing false worship, idolatry, lying and cheating. Maybe you've been immoral. I don't know what it might be, but the grace of God is available to you today. All you need is to acknowledge him, acknowledge your need, and ask for it. Amen. You need to pray. Come, let's sing.